0: The last word with Matt Cooper. Today, John Gibbons is with us for our weekly environment spot. And John, I'm not necessarily just being mischievous and bringing up the issue of Patrick Healty's carbon footprint if he flies over and back from London to host the Late Late Show because this is happening at a time when RT is telling its staff to avoid
1: air travel. Uh, that's right, Matt. Good evening. Yeah, they, they've issued that, that uh request, if you like, to staff to avoidance of air travel, as they call it, as being part of a, of a, of a plan to reduce the carbon footprint of, of orti itself corporately and also its, its several thousand staff and uh, I know D-, D Forbes has sent out a, an email which, which includes that and refers to the urgency of addressing climate change etc etc so I suppose it's an unfortunate juxtaposition I guess from their point of view that the whole business of, of a late late presenter being uh, across the pond as it were in London and, and, and jetting over every uh, weekend to, to run the show now I did have a look at the numbers on this uh, it's reckoned to be a Dublin to London one way uh, economy flight about 150 kilos of CO2 Matt which is basically 300 kilos a week. Scale that up to the season of the late, late, we're looking at about nine tonnes of carbon dioxide. How does that stack up vis-a-vis a typical Irish person? Uh, you and me, the average Irish person, accounts in full, full year for about 13 tonnes. So Patrick Keelty's uh, late, late carbon contribution would be probably three quarters of the average Irish person's thing. So, of course... Uh,
0: but hold on, they're yeah. not putting on special flight from. The seat would be occupied by somebody else if he
1: wasn't in it. Well, of course, but that 150 kilos is just his share of the of the amount of carbon burned by that plane. So, if there's 200 people on that plane, then it's 200 times 150 kilos. So, if he wasn't on that plane, everybody else's share goes up a little bit. So that, that that's that's probably how that argument works. It is interesting though, Matt, that that Ortier are obviously they're they're putting forward about their various steps to reduce the carbon footprint. Uh, I mean, they point out, for example that flying is about 4% of the station's carbon footprint. But looking, if you like, from the outside in, I think there's a tiny, teeny point being missed here. And the point really is the most important contribution that RTE can make, if you like, to climate change in Ireland is its role as a broadcaster. It isn't about getting Patrick Keelty to... to, take the ferry every Friday. I mean, as I just described, the, the totality of the impact there is minimal. What really matters, with respect, is that the national broadcaster steps up and is seen to be a leader in line with government policy, I might add, uh, on the climate emergency, putting it front and central in their programmes. And let's stay with the late, late. I did a piece for the Irish Examiner a, a wee while ago uh, around around the late, late, just, to, you know, as usual, throwing my, my climate filter over it. And I had a look back from 1999 to the present day. That's uh, 24 years, Matt. In that time, climate change, if you like, as a discrete feature, occurred twice. So 24 years 30 episodes a season, so you can do the, the maths on that, over 600 episodes. It appeared twice. And in both cases, they showcased climate deniers. Once in 2009, again in 2011, and from 2011 until 2023, pretty much nothing. Now, the, if you want to improve your 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 contribution to the national climate debate, let's start having a national climate debate.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit more about aircraft and airplanes. What do you make of the fact that Dublin Airport has warned passengers that all its parking is sold out this weekend? That shows you just how busy it is and how many people like bringing their cars to the airport, doesn't it, John?
1: Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, We see in the first uh, four months of the year, which would be a relatively quiet four months, Matt, uh, January to April, it isn't isn't high summer, uh, we've had 9.5 million passenger movements through Dublin Airport in the first four months. Extrapolate that to a full year, it will probably come in somewhere in the region of 35 million. I think their, their their target figure is 40 million, but it's something of that order. Now, just a brief reminder, 5 million people in total in the Republic of Ireland. So one of our airports is putting through in one four-month period nine and a half million passenger movements. So I'm not a bit surprised that there's a traffic congestion problem at Dublin Airport. And obviously, we don't have a rail connection to the airport. Would you
0: build one? Because, I mean, that would be not just very expensive, but there'd be an awful lot of carbon expended in building a railway line, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, there's always carbon expended. It's the old uh, omelette and eggs thing, Matt. However, if you're going to build rail lines, and I'm all for building rail lines, as you know, electric electrified rail lines, I wouldn't be building one to the airport because what you're doing essentially is you're facilitating, okay, it might be a carbon friendly way of spending more carbon. Right. so I would be using that to, to connect up our, our, our communities our suburbs etc. I'd be using it to improve. Would, a lot of people now say
0: that if you had a railway line to the airport the airport would just be one stop you take in swords and you take in other parts of North Dublin as well.
1: Yeah absolutely if you take it as part of an integrated plan and I think the, the Dublin Metro Plan did include this uh, in its various iterations over the last 20 years although I gather not a single sod has been turned on this I know a lot of Euros have been turned with Consultant fees, but not a single sod has been turned. So sometimes the the big the mega projects, especially when you go underground, uh, they they tend to they they tend to go and die in the weeds.
0: You know they're building extensions again now to Terminal One in Dublin Airport. There's even a lobby development to have a third terminal in Dublin Airport. What would you think of that? If we, I mean, that would mean if you build it, then. The numbers will go up over 40 million in time to come.
1: Absolutely, and, and as we saw with uh, Ryanair's recent commitment to buying, was it 300 new uh, Boeing jets? Yeah. Um, this the most environmentally
0: friendly jets, they say. Far fewer emissions from those jets than from existing
1: stock. Sure, and uh, I suppose, as ever, the, the issue as we've talked about many times is that the global atmosphere doesn't really care all that much about the individual efficiency of a single aircraft. What it cares about is how much pollution you dump into the atmosphere. Atmosphere. And those 300 new jets will expand the amount of flying done by Ryanair and will, over time, increase the amount of air pollution. Uh, and there's just simply no getting around that. Unfortunately, this is physics. We have this magical substance, which I know we've talked about once or twice, called sustainable aviation fluid or fuel even. And uh, basically that offers no solutions either, whether we go down the biofuel route. I know you spoke with the minister about this the other day. I'm, I, I'm, I think it's an absolute no-no for all kinds of reasons, uh, land use and, and, and other reasons. And I don't think that used uh, chip oil is going to be powering too many aircraft in the near future.
0: Something I brought up with Eamon Ryan the other evening, and it's also sent in by a listener. What about banning internal flights like the French have? We don't really have that many internal flights, do we?
1: Well, we do have some. For example, we've got Kerry to Dublin. That that's one. Now, Kerry to Dublin is about eighty-seven thousand people flew on that last year. Now, that is competing number one with the motorway network, which we've put in at enormous expense, and number two, of course, with oh, the. I'm sorry. Par- we
0: still need the Adair bypass to get people into and out of Kerry. I mean, if you're ever driven down to Kerry, you get stuck in Adair and Newcastle West for enormous amounts of time.
1: Sure, having having said that, I'm I'm old enough to remember when going to Kerry was like a pilgrimage. Uh, if you were going by car, when it just took I think maybe six hours uh, to get to Killarney, so it's improved drastically. You're right; there's still one or two little 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 uh, glitches, but relatively speaking, Matt, it's improved dramatically. But obviously, we also have a rail connection, and I think the French point was that if you've got a decent rail connection, you do not want to have internal aviation competing with it. I think it's important to say as well that we pump huge amounts of money into supporting our uh, regional airports, which I think in most cases are basically vanity projects for for local politicians. Everybody likes to have an airport in their backyard. In most cases, the economic model behind it is, is non-existent without subsidy, without huge subsidies.
0: Okay, let's move on to something else away from aviation. Bees that fly. Tell us about this really interesting, unexpected downside of, what some people are thinking as a great environmental measure, raising bees in your backyard, why it doesn't work.
1: That's right. I mean, the, the honeybee is the, is the iconic species for, if you like, for environmental protection. You often even see environmental campaigners out dressed up as honeybees, uh, you know, if you're into that kind of thing. And I'm sure there was a song that said something about grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. It's, it, it really is the quintessence of, uh, if you like, clean, environmental. However, what researchers have discovered, this is a Canadian study, Matt, is that areas where honeybees are being uh, farmed, if you like, and by what I mean by farmed is where they're being kept in, in, in either domestic or commercial beehives, right? Uh, areas where they've been farmed, basically the, 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 the local wild bee populations are being driven basically to... Extermination. And they found huge declines in the population of other pollinators in the region. But particularly, your, your honeybee is sort of like the equivalent, the flying equivalent of the domestic chicken. Think of it, if you like, as a, as a farm animal, right? It produces a product for human consumption called honey. And basically, it flies around. Now, honeybees are quite large by bee standards. They also they have they've they the ability to fly long range, and they're also very clever. They do that little uh, honeybee dance. That's great because it gives them a, an evolutionary advantage. Not other bee species don't have this. That little dance allows them to guide other honeybees to the the target. That means they're able to outcompete uh, local, if you like, um, uh, pollinators. Now. If you come along and set up a honeybee uh, hive with, and you introduce, say, 10,000 new bees, they head out in every direction first thing in the morning. And basically, by the time your local, um, the, the native uh, bee... Which is often the much, wild bee, the, the, wild, original, wild the, the bee. original wild bee. The original wild bee are other uh, flying pollinators. By the time they've uh, woken up and headed out, they found that when they, when they arrive along to the various flowers that are available, they're already gone. So it isn't a point of saying that we shouldn't have honeybees. Of course, they have their role as pollinators. In fact, in some countries, they're used commercially. Uh, there's an amazing story in America, for example, where, you know, these 48-foot uh, trucks... They drive from coast to coast with millions of bees on them. And they basically, they they drive them, say, to uh, an almond orchard in California. The bees then pollinate the almond. But as you can see there, Matt, that's a completely commercial exchange. There's no, uh, if you like, um, ecological component to it.
0: OK, one final one, because we are running short on time, but this is a very worrying one. How half of the world's lakes have shrunk in size over the past 30 years.
1: That's right. This is a study done basically using satellite imagery from uh, 1992 to the present day. So they looked at nearly 2,000 lakes around the world. And what they found uh, probably unexpected, or sorry, not unexpectedly, is that there's been a, a huge declines in volume in, in over half of those lakes. And they did a tot and they calculated that the losses would be the, the equivalent to 17 times the amount of water that could fill Lake Mead. Now, Lake Mead, for those who don't know it, is a gigantic man-made reservoir that actually supplies the water to the Hoover Dam, which is the world's largest hydroelectric dam, at least the largest in the US. Now, Lake Mead has already dropped over a thousand feet because of uh, basically... the amount of water drawn down on it, uh, evaporation, uh, overuse. Now, if it drops 100 more feet, Matt, that's the end of the hydroelectric power in Lake Mead. So it's got just 10% left to go. So the impacts, I suppose, around the world, what we're looking at here, uh, we've seen it in Asia, the Middle East, Europe, Oceania, uh, Southern Africa, and most of South America, the major lakes are drying up. And, These lakes service about two billion people, which is roughly a quarter of the world's population are in what are called the basin of a lake. So they, and even though the lakes relative, say, to, to frozen water, ice and so on, they, they, They account for a relatively small amount of the world's water, but they actually are 87% of the liquid surface fresh water. So, in other words, the available water for humans. And there's all kinds of reasons, Matt, why the lakes are declining. We've said, obviously, climate change, which means increased evaporation, etc. But on top of that, for example, the snowpacks that traditionally in the winter capture moisture and hold it and release it to the lakes and so on in the spring, the snow caps are declining precipitously. Uh, for example, in, in Europe this year, 50% reduction in the alpine snowpacks.
0: Okay, a couple of comments from Kerry I have to read to you. Kevin says, uh, please tell John, the train fare is €75 Euro Dublin to Kerry, the plane fare is €40 Euro and it's there in half the time. And another listener says, it can still take five hours from Killarney to Dublin by car. This is from Tom. And from parts of Kerry, it could take six and a half because there's no train access. John Gibbons, we'll talk to you again next week. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays
1: from 4.30. Today,